Let's talk to the Lord together. Let's pray. Father, in this life, there are a lot of times that we don't have access to people who are in positions of authority and positions of power. And they're often insulated by a number of other people who speak on their behalf and who communicate for them. Not so with you, dear God. You're the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You're the creator of this world. You're the one who's given life to all of us and to everyone who has and will ever live. You're the one who has a plan and is working that plan out moment by moment. A God of power, a God of love, a God of justice, a God of mercy. And you, dear God, make yourself available to us that we might come to you through Jesus in prayer. Thank you for the opportunity you give us to pray corporately and to pray individually. Knowing, dear God, that you hear every prayer that we utter and that your Holy Spirit even cooperates by getting down inside of us and unearthing thoughts and feelings and emotions that we might not otherwise ever present to you. What a wonderful God. A God who cares and a God who's involved. A God who is always with us. No matter where we are, no matter what we're experiencing. With that in mind, dear God, there seems to be a lot of times in all of our lives when human experiences suggest to us that you're not present that you're not listening or that you're not aware or that you're not involved. And those human experiences sometimes capture us, Lord, and make us captive. And our faith shrinks. I ask you to forgive us for that. Because you've not gone anywhere, Lord. You're still with us and still mightily at work. We're the ones who've stepped away from you. And I pray that as we grow together as a congregation and as we grow together individually and get to know you better, that we will trust you more. Father, there are lots of folks in our country who do not know you. There are a great many people and it seems to be an increasing number who live by their own wit and their own skill and who do not allow you to work through them or in them. We pray, dear God, for spiritual revival. Not that people would turn to you, but that you would reach out to them. That you would quicken people all across this country, and that you'd call more and more people to yourself, and that we might see that abundant response as people experience an absolute heart transplant and come to know you through your son, Jesus. We yearn for that, Lord, because it's so obvious what's happening in our land. I pray, dear God, for your church, those that are faithful to your word, that they wouldn't have a fortress mentality, but instead that they'd be proactive and reaching out, trying to reach others and be used by you. 
And I pray, dear God, that you would touch folks in the medical field and in the military and in the law enforcement and that you would use those folks and at the same time that you would bless them. So often, Father, when people are in need or have a crisis, you speak to them and you bring them to faith. I pray you'd use your servants to help accomplish that. There are all kinds of struggles in our land, Lord. We have economic struggles. We have, at this moment, health struggles throughout the country. The winter has been hard on a lot of folks. And I pray, dear God, for the many people in our congregation and other people in our land who struggle with health issues at this moment. I pray for your blessing. I pray for your peace. I pray, dear God, they would feel and know your presence. I pray for those who are in high office in our land. I pray for our president and his wife and their children as I pray for those in all three branches of our government. And I pray, dear God, that if it's your will, you would bring more and more of them to personal faith in Jesus. But I thank you, Lord, that you superintend all that they do. And they can really do nothing without your permission and without you allowing it. We ask that you would continue to superintend those who lead our nation. Father, there's a lot of good things going on in our church. Folks who are growing spiritually and getting to know you better. We thank you for the beautiful things that you do among us. We pray for our search committee and pray your blessing on them, that they would have wisdom beyond their years and that you would guide them exactly like you want to guide them. And let them look back when it's all over and done, Lord, and give you praise for having worked in their lives for the benefit of all of us. Father, if there are those present today who have things that are just really pressing on them and disrupting lives, I pray that as we go through this service that they would take those things and put them at the foot of the cross and that they would know that you're there for them and that you're going to be at work in their lives. Thank you for our time together. Thank you for allowing us to come to you in prayer through your son Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let me invite you to open your Bibles with me to Genesis, the 16th chapter. Genesis, the 16th chapter. We're going to start our study with the 7th verse, and we're going to study through the 13th. Genesis, the 16th chapter, beginning with the 7th verse. If you're with us for the first time this morning... Please know it's our habit to put our finger in our Bible once we find the passage and then to look up. And I encourage you to keep your Bible open during the sermon and keep looking back so you'll see why I say the very things I say. Genesis, the 16th chapter, beginning with the 7th verse. Let's ask God to help us as we open his word. Let's pray. Father, we come to you very intentionally asking for you to do something that we cannot do for ourselves. 
you've given us rational minds, and Lord, you've given us access to all sorts of education and experience. But to hear your voice clearly, we need the help of your Holy Spirit. I pray for every one of us in this room that you would now speak to us, that it might be an impact on our life that we would take from this place and that we would use in the days to come. Bless us now, I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. As you might imagine, when a preacher, and I think you do this in your line of work also, as a preacher is working on a sermon, and I know sometimes four, three to four months out what I'm going to be doing, those things kind of pop around in my head, and certainly as I get into the week of a sermon, I start thinking about that theme. Uh, sometimes, even when I'm spoken to, I don't listen because I'm thinking about what I'm going to be doing Sunday. Linda could probably give testimony to that. This past Thursday night, not thinking about today, I started flipping through, I don't know, 700 channels or 800 channels on television. You know, you can only look at one at a time. I think that's kind of amusing that we have so many choices. And I think what's really sad is oftentimes we turn it off after surfing because we can't find anything that we're willing to let come into our home. But as I was surfing, I came across a rerun. And because of my sermon today, I stopped. It's a rerun of a series that ran between 1985 and 1989. Michael Landon was the male lead, and I see some folks mouthing, Highway to Heaven was the title of the series. Interesting, Michael Landon, as I did some reading on it, was trying to earn his wings. That's what he was doing in that series. I never knew that because I never really watched it very much, but every now and then I would catch an episode. Well, as I sat there, and I did stop, and I did watch that episode, and as I watched it, I thought about something else that we have as a tradition in our family. How many of you listen at Christmas time to It's a Wonderful Life? Anybody? We have a copy of that, and it's our tradition for our family to watch that. And we watch it like we have never seen it before, every year. And we enjoy it. We enjoy a man by the name of Bailey who finds himself, George Bailey, just really put upon. And he's got financial problems that he can't resolve. And that has all kinds of ramifications. And God graciously in the movie sends Clarence to him, an angel. Guess what he's doing? He's trying to earn his wings also. That seems to be a reoccurring theme. I want you to know angels don't try to earn wings. That's Hollywood. And what's happened is we have some interesting things being told to us by Hollywood, and we bring that to the Word, and we try to put those together sometimes, and sometimes they don't fit at all. So what I want to do for a few minutes is I want us to take a glimpse through a real life experience that you and I can trust. Take a glimpse at the angelic world and see what we can glean about angels. I want you to look with me at the 16th chapter of Genesis. And I'm going to begin reading with the 7th verse. 
Listen as God speaks to us. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. He said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. And the angel of the Lord said to her father, Behold, you are with child, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him, and he will live to the east of all his brothers. Then she called the name of the Lord, who spoke to her. You are a God who sees, for she said, I have even remained alive here after seeing him. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. If you look up the word angel in the Hebrew, malach, and if you look in the Greek, the word is agelos, they both have the same meaning. It means messenger. So apparently what God did is God created angels that they might be his messengers to his created beings to people like you and me. I was curious. I'm not much for doing numbers when it comes to the Bible, but I was curious how often angels are mentioned in the scriptures. And there are at least 273 different incidents between the Old and New Testament where angels visit people on behalf of God. That's pretty active. That's God being involved with his people. If you look at the seventh verse, our first verse, it says, Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. That's an angelic encounter. God sent one of his angels to Hagar. It's interesting, if you go back and look at the 148th Psalm, it tells us that all of nature... The stars, the moon, the sun, the earth, and angels were all created by God. And that all of them in unison should be giving praise to God. The angels know God in ways that we don't know him. If they're created by God, then there are not going to be more of them or less of them than there is any other creation. That number is set they will experience either eternal life with God or they will experience eternal damnation. But angels are eternal, just like you and like I am. So the question isn't, will they multiply? They don't multiply. Will they grow older? They don't grow older. Wouldn't that be wonderful? They are because God created them, and he created them for a very specific purpose. 
The scripture in that seventh verse says that that angel went out and found Hagar. It wasn't by accident. It was very intentional. God wanted to be involved with her in a way that she couldn't miss. So he came to her through this angel to talk with her. And he said to her, the angel said to her, you have conceived a child. Goodness. God knew about that? God knew that when Hagar was with Sarah and Abraham, that Sarah grew old and could not bear a child, and that she had turned to one of her slaves named Hagar, who was from Egypt, and gave this slave to her husband. And scripture says that she became Abraham's wife. And she conceived a child by Abraham. And the angel says, you're pregnant. And he knows. You know, I, I find myself heartbroken over and over again. When people want to debate when life begins, and they want to say, well, you know, you, you can take a child from a mama's womb at six months or whatever age the law at that moment may say. Doesn't life begin when God says, John is going to be, or Ellen, I will that you live? Isn't that when it begins? Is it just tied to our physical being? I don't think so. I think it's tied to a sovereign God who wills that Doug is going to be alive and have a life. This angel certainly didn't know what was going on, and he knew because he served God who was creator. The scripture tells us in that verse that she was literally at an oasis. She was at a well that had been dug out in the middle of the wilderness. I want you to know, if you've not been there, when you leave Israel and you start across the top of the Sinai Peninsula around the Mediterranean Sea on your way to the Great River, which then... On the other side is the populace of Egypt. When you're on that stretch of desert highway, there's no life out there. There are a few Bedouin tribes moving around, but there's not much going on. And if you look back, you'll see that historically there's always been this king's highway, which still exists today, around the edge of the Mediterranean through that wilderness. And the king's highway is there because of the placement of these oases where people can get water. And what she had done is she had come down to the king's highway and she was at one of those wells and apparently she wasn't Egyptian and apparently she was heading back to Egypt except she had left Abraham and her whole way of life and she was returning like an unwed mother carrying a child. Can you start to experience her grief? The kind of crisis that she had in her life? If you look down at the 8th and ninth verses, you see a confrontation takes place, an angelic confrontation. The angel says to her, in essence, you're the slave of Sarah. You notice he doesn't mention you're the wife 
of Abraham? He says, you're the slave of Sarah. Where have you come from and where are you going? And what he was doing was getting her to own up to what was going on in her life and what she was doing at that moment. And she responds and says, I'm fleeing from my mistress. She told the truth. Things had gotten difficult for her, and so what she did is she hit the road. She was going to get out of there. If you remember the scriptures, once she conceived a child, she started looking at Sarah very differently. And as she did that, and as she started to mistreat Sarah, Sarah then looked at her very differently. Haven't you heard it said? We shouldn't have two women in the same house. I want you to know you shouldn't have two men in the same house either. That's not how God ordained it. It doesn't work. So Hagar, with that pressure on her, leaves Sarah and leaves Abraham. I want to stop for just a moment. If we were to take time to pass a pad of paper around and ask you to put on that pad of paper a real crisis in your life, we all have something we would write down. Something that's a real hardship. A broken relationship with someone, a massive disappointment in life, the loss of someone you love that you're still grieving over. We all have things. Pending surgery, pending whatever that we see as a real challenge or real difficulty. And we all have those things. That's where Hagar was. And Hagar's response to that kind of hardship was to flee, not to stay and to see it through. And the angel looks at her and he says, I want you to go back. I want you to return to Sarah. And I want you to be submissive. I want you to put yourself under her authority. I want you to go back to the hardship. I want you to go back to the situation you can't resolve. I want you to go back to the situation that you have found absolutely intolerable. And I want you to go back. Why would God do that? God did not condone slavery. If you remember the New Testament book, which is seldom preached, Philemon has a slave in modern-day Turkey. Onesimus is his name. Onesimus flees like Hagar. He makes his way from modern-day Turkey all the way to Rome, and there he meets the Apostle Paul. He becomes an absolutely trusted friend of Paul, and Onesimus is a Christian. And so is Philemon. Paul says to Onesimus, I want you to take a letter back to Philemon, and I want you to go back. Now, because Paul sent Onesimus back to Philemon was not a blessing on slavery. That has never been blessed by God. But what happened was he was saying, I want you to go back into those circumstances. Why would God do that? Why doesn't God just remove us as a matter of grace from the struggles that we have in our life? Sometimes he does. More often than not, he doesn't. I want to tell you a little real quick 
personal story. When God called me into the ministry, I owned a business. Very quietly, I got a broker to sell my company. He found a buyer, brought the buyer to me. The buyer put up some earnest money. We had an agreement. He'd work with me for three months. He'd learn all five divisions of my small company and learn how to operate it. And then the first week of December of that year, he would give me all the money in the world and I would become one of the wealthiest preachers you ever saw. That didn't happen, folks. <laughs> we went through the three months, got to the weekend before he was to take ownership, and I want you to know, in my heart of hearts, I knew he shouldn't buy the company. But my desire to get that money and to go along and do what I felt called to do was so great that I didn't pay any attention to the Holy Spirit. And I should have. I should have said to the man, you're ill-equipped to take my place in these five little companies. On the Sunday before the Monday final closing, he called me and we met together in the executive office. And he told me he couldn't buy the company and he started crying. The bottom line was, I released him from the contract and he ran out of the office with tears running down his face. I think at that point there were probably tears of rejoicing because <clears throat> he wasn't going to be spending all that money. And I sat at my desk and I thought to myself, I can put my business back on the market. It took nine months the first time and I thought I can do that again. Or I can go home and tell Linda that we're going to have significantly less money in reserve when we start three years of seminary. And I prayed about it. And I wasn't a mature Christian at the time, but somehow I figured out with God's help I needed to not put the business back on the market. And 30 days later, it was no longer existing. Through a variety of means, I disposed of that company. But I went home and I sat down with my Linda. And we had three kids and I thought, you know, she's going to be concerned about security. And I said to her, let me tell you what happened. And she said, that's good. Wasn't what I expected to hear. That was a mature Christian lady saying, now you're going to have to depend on God, not on your checking account. And she was right. And praise God that that happened. Because that was one of the building blocks in developing me as a person and in my relationship with him. When you and I start to flee from a situation or we start to look for some kind of cute way to get around it or, or to get our way, oftentimes what we're saying to God is, I'm not willing to trust you. I'm not willing to be subject and let you be the Lord of my life. I'm going to provide, and I don't need you to do it. And that smacks of original sin. So what was going on with Hagar was for her benefit. A God who knew what had gone on with Abraham and Sarah and Hagar 
and had allowed that to happen is the same God who was ready to work in that situation before she fled from the situation. And now through his messenger, the angel, he's saying, I want you to go back there and let me work my plan out. Isn't that amazing? Do you have any of those things in your life? Ever tried to get away from the issue instead of trusting God with the issue? I encourage you to trust God. Verses 10 through 12, an angelic pronouncement. And it's interesting, if you'll look at verse 10, he says, Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I, first person, I, now we're hearing God again. God is speaking through the angel. And what he says is, here are some things I'm going to do. And he says, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that there will be too many to count. He said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your child. Well, if you do a little simple math and you suggest that a lot of those who are Arabs today, which number 1.2 million in the Middle East alone, and you look at the number of Jews who are in Israel, which is 8 million, I think God did exactly what he said he was going to do. He multiplied her descendants. Secondly, the angel says to her, the son that you're going to bear is going to be like a wild donkey. You got a picture of a wild donkey? Can't you just see the back legs up in the air? Or can't you just see him planting all four legs and saying, I'm not going anywhere? Well, He's talking about the temperament and makeup of this son and those who are his descendants. And it's pretty easy to look around and to see the residual of that today in parts of the Middle East. That kind of dogmatic, I'm not going to change, I'm not going to have peace. And they don't to this day. And certainly it has been attempted over the years to get peace in the Middle East. He says the third thing. He said, you have conceived a child. And I want you to know it's a boy. And I want you to call him Ishmael, which means God heard you. What he's doing is he's affirming for her. And he's saying to her, God is mightily involved in your life, and you may not have sensed it or been aware of it, just like you and I sometimes are not aware. He's saying, but God has superintended your whole life, and he is involved with you in your life, and he is going to cause certain things to happen in the future, and they have happened. Verse 13 is an interesting verse. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. She figured it out. God is speaking to her through the angel. It's as if God were standing right there. And she's able to say, have I even remained alive here after seeing him, God. One of the things that happens in life 
when the Holy Spirit starts to move in us, when God providentially works something out in our life, when we see things moving around supernaturally because God wants a certain thing to happen, or if an angel should come and speak to us. In every one of those instances, you know what's happening? God is interfacing with us. And for us to be able to say, I saw God. That's what he wants. For us to say, God was in that and I have experienced God. Folks, God's at work in our lives every day, over and over and over again. And the more we get in tune with him and the more we surrender to his Holy Spirit and the more we're willing to trust him with the things that are important in life, the more readily we will see him and be able to say, I saw God. I told my wife this kind of a sermon under the power of the Holy Spirit can effectively change lives. I hope it's touched you. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you. Thank you for the way you minister to your children as you did, dear God, with Hagar. I thank you that you dispatch angels according to your timetable. I thank you even more than that that you have your Holy Spirit in all of us who believe and that your Spirit is ready to guide us and to help us. Thank you for speaking to us today, Lord. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Russell? Come join me. Thank you. The results of the election this morning, all nominees are elected by majority vote. Praise God. Thank you, sir. Would you please pray for those who've been elected? And pray for those who serve. And pray for the one who's the pastor of your church. Right now. By the way, when I leave, you can keep praying if you want to. But really, all of us need your help. Lots of times on Sunday as you're leaving, and somebody will say something about the sermon, and you've heard me say, please pray for me. I mean that with all my heart. So let that be part of what you do on a regular basis. Pray for your spiritual leaders of the church. Let's stand together. My hope for us is as this week unfolds that you will see God at work in your life and be able to say, He touched me. God bless you, and God keep you, and may his face shine on you, and may you get to know him more intimately than you have in days past.
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.